LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Todd Atkins. And today I am here with a special co-host, Ben Mandrell, who is the uh, CEO of LifeWay. So he's like my boss's boss. Um, but he's been on the podcast before. You guys know him. You know how approachable he is and everything. But uh, when we talked about having our guests on today, and there's two, we talked about that. We were both just uh, super excited to have this conversation. So, yes, at some point we'll be talking about a book, of course, because that's what we do on this podcast. It's not um, about people who, who write books or anything like that, but we love books, so we always bring them up. But... Today is really about, um, it's really about a story, a story of uh, leadership and marriage. And I'm so excited uh, to have Carrie Newoff and Tony Newoff on today just to share with you. Uh, Tony has a, a, a new book out that is really all about marriage and divorce. And it's actually called Before You Split. Uh, and we know from research that, you know, divorce was a bad enough issue, uh, both inside the church and outside of the church before the pandemic. But during the pandemic, that has increased up to 34% in the U.S., depending on where you are. Um, But this book is a resource for you, pastor, or this conversation is a resource for you. Um, It's written from a, a perspective of understanding the process that couples go through and the questions that they're asking when it comes to their marriage and whether or not they should get a divorce. And we know that people both inside of our church are uh, struggling with their marriages as well as us as church leaders. So we're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking things from this book. What we're going to do is spend a lot of time unpacking uh, the life and leadership and ministry of a pastor and how it's, in, it's tied directly to our marriage and the importance of that bond. But before I go any further, I do want to mention to you that this is also, this book in any way is written from a perspective of uh, Christianity being a part of that solution. So it is very much a tool that you could use as people will no doubt uh, from January to March is when, you know, people are resetting. They're thinking about new things. They're they're potentially thinking about a divorce. And a lot of people will come to your church to look for help who may not have ever attended your church. But as a last resort, they may come to your church. And this is a perfect tool uh, to give them and walk them through. So I've talked way too much uh, in that intro, but I just wanted you to understand this is not a normal podcast. It's not just about a book. This is a podcast that's specifically for you. And I'm so grateful um, to, to Carrie and Tony. Uh, you guys know that uh, Carrie is a prolific blogger, podcaster, speaker when it comes to leadership. And personally, I believe um, a lot of leadership is learning in front of people. And usually uh, leaders are, are um, fine with sharing, you know, some of their highlight reel and some of the great things that they think about or strategy, but they're not as good about sh- being vulnerable. And what Carrie and Tony are doing today is being very vulnerable with the different parts of their marriage, the different struggles they had and, and how 
uh, they were able to move forward. And that's what I'm most excited about today because you can look at a guy like Carrie and now you can see uh, the history of three decades of marriage and what they kind of went through. So um, again, that was the longest podcast intro ever. Carrie and Tony, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast today. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Um, can you just just give us an overview of uh, your all's background because you're both you both were attorneys uh, and Carrie everybody everyone knows uh, became a church planter pastor um, now uh, prolific leadership guy like can, can you just give us an overview of your biography together as a marriage as a couple and then um, we'll get into different parts of that once we we hear that. Well, thank you, Todd. Um, we met we met in law school, so uh, mm-hmm. I say the best thing to come out of law school was my husband, Carrie. Uh, we we met um, in our first week, actually, and mm-hmm. uh, became... I noticed you. You did you did not notice me. <laughs> mm. True, but that changed quickly. Oh, okay. Uh, we we became news. best friends, really, and yeah. then uh, started dating, and so we were married midway through law school. And uh, actually, I was pregnant with our first son in my last semester of law school. Yeah, we got married uh, between what, year two and three? Yes. Was that yeah. it? Between, yeah. And then year three, we had Jordan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was planned, by the way. Mm-hmm. He, likes, okay. he likes to joke with us that it wasn't, but it actually was. And okay. Sure. I'll go with that. <laughs> and uh, I had I had already done my my pharmacy degree before law school. And so from there, um, things went pretty quickly. Um, we started out being parents and Carrie went to seminary. I worked as a pharmacist. Then later on, I worked as a lawyer. But that all happened once we um, moved north of Toronto and assumed a, a three part three-point charge in the Presbyterian church. So we pretty much hit the ground running in our, in our marriage and in mm-hmm. our life. Yeah. So you, you practice both law and pharmacy as well as, you know, being involved in the ministry at our church. So my background, yeah. Uh, law. Um, and I only worked at it for a year. Tony worked at it a lot more than I did. Uh, during your practice, but then resigned, went into seminary, entered ministry. And we've been in the same community for 25 years. So a lot of these stories that I'm sure we'll share as as our time together continues, you know, they were forged in the uh, anvil of ministry. And uh, yeah, the first, the first decade, like I talk a lot about my burnout. I wrote about that and didn't see it coming. The next book will be like post-burnout and how we kind of recovered life and leadership. But um, yeah, I mean, leading up to my burnout, there was a lot of strife in our marriage and a lot of difficulty. And, and I think those were some of the factors that probably led to my burnout, just my unhealth as a leader in my 30s. Carrie, this has been, it's great to be with you guys on this call and, and have this important conversation about marriage. You know, I think that being married is a challenge no matter what vocation you're in. Mm-hmm. Being a pastor and being married seems like a double whammy. And at times, just in my own life in 17 years, I found that, uh, you know, 
I always felt like I had some issues that I needed to deal with in my marriage. Even recently, my wife and I have begun to seek out some help on some areas we feel stuck. But I always felt like if I let all my marriage stuff hit the fan during the week, I would need to get that cleaned up by Saturday night. Uh, Because I wouldn't want the church to know that I have issues in my my marriage. There's a very real pressure in that. And so I'm I'm interested in how you guys in this book kind of tell that story and how, how did being in the pastorate affect uh, this book and how did that come out, Tony? Well, as far as the the ministry perspective goes, uh, I didn't talk too much about the impact uh, we felt within the ministry. So uh, it, there were years where we were struggling and I was uh, heavily involved as a volunteer in the church and I've, uh, I love doing that. Um, there were times though, where our, our personal struggle was so, um, intense that, uh, it, it was hard to be at church on Sunday. It, it was for hard for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I remember, um, times where I, I would manage to make it through the service, but I'd escape to the bathroom after so that all the tears could spill out in private and uh, and those were mm. tough years. Yeah. yeah, and it was hard because, you know, when you said that, Ben, about uh, like it brought back something I haven't thought about in a while, but like that idea. And I had that like before I burned out, I remember thinking, OK, right now, you know, on a Tuesday, it's a mess. But I've got till Saturday to like sort this out so that I right. feel some semblance of righteousness by the time I get up there to preach on Sunday. And like, oh, that is a really interesting mindset. And I mean, when the tension is real, like you don't want to, you don't want to get up there and like feel like a complete hypocrite. And yet, you know, there was, there was a battle going on. Like there was just yes. some kind of battle and, and, um, you know, a lot of that was unresolved emotional problems that emotional immaturity. I remember reading, uh, Pete Scazzaro's book. Uh, I think it was the emotionally healthy church. He didn't have the leader out and he had this little assessment at the back. And like in my thirties, I was the equivalent of an emotional toddler, which was like really reassuring to know how immature I was <laughs> emotionally. Um, but that, that would show up in our marriage because, you know, I didn't have any problems. You had all the problems, Tony. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what yeah. was your perspective? <laughs> the, the marriage problems weren't my fault. Carrie mm. was default. Yeah. And yeah. it was uh, that struggle just seemed to go on and on. And one pattern that occurred was that these fights or these arguments that we would have that seemed to go on and on always seemed to intensify on Saturday. Oh, Saturdays are awful. And I, I, absolutely. I every time back. you see that too, Ben. Like oh, absolutely. Saturday. Every time it's like the worst fights happen on Saturday. I used to be glad that I got up early in the morning on Sunday and left for church because there was no opportunity to get into a fight before the service. <laughs> <laughs> Separate cars, right? That helps. It's like, well, at least we weren't in the same vehicle. No, but you know, that, that is interesting. I used to dread Saturdays and I didn't have a category for Saturdays because Saturdays were supposed to be my day off, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what to do when I was off because I'm a workaholic by nature. I'm in recovery. And, and you and and I, so I'd be agitated to begin with because I didn't have anything to do. And then one of the constant tension points you do write about this was I'm a bit of a neat freak. Is that fair? 
more than fair. Okay. Like, <laughs> like, like, like a little bit like, boy, this, get this guy to therapy kind of neat freak. And if, you know, young kids and neat freaks don't get along. And so if the house was out of order, I felt out of order. And it was just this tinder box that would result in a, in, in just this, this tension. It, and, would, it would flare up in a moment. And I agree with what you said earlier, Carrie, that uh, I, I also was emotionally unprepared for mm, marriage. Mm. Uh, it was, you know, I've come to understand it much more clearly with 2020 hindsight. But at the time, uh, not only were we really in a deep struggle between the two of us with our emotions, but we also just didn't have the, the mentoring uh, and the discipleship to understand uh, what was going on in the spiritual realm. Like, why were we having these big blowouts on Saturday repeatedly? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the two of us went to a, a conference together, we went to a, um, a faith conference um, yeah, with Terry yeah. Wardle, yeah. that we had a much, much clearer understanding. Our eyes were opened, really, during that weekend. Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, because you can over-spiritualize or under-spiritualize. And probably with my background, I was under-spiritualizing. Like, I'm not like, okay, you were a jerk. This wasn't Satan, Carrie. You were just, <laughs> you need to apologize to your wife, okay? Wasn't some demon took hold of your tongue. Like, you were just an idiot and you need to say you're sorry. But then there are other times, I think probably the best explanation I have is when you've um, exhausted all the natural explanations then perhaps it's a supernatural thing. And, um, and we definitely had supernatural components to it, but there was an awful lot of natural components too that I just, I, I needed, um, and I think it's spiritual maturity. Like at the end of the day, emotional maturity is, is, is spiritual maturity. Uh, they're, not, they're not synonymous, but they do overlap. And emotional immaturity is also spiritual immaturity. And I would say that I was emotionally and spiritually immature and I'm still growing in that. Um, and yeah, that was, that was like a lot of turbulence and it wasn't bad every day, but it was bad a lot. When, so good. when you spoke earlier about not being emotionally ready for marriage, you know, what was, what was the transition like as you guys went from being, you know, lawyers to, now we're, we're in ministry. Uh, what, what was that like for your marriage? How was that decision made? Like, just talk about that. And then, um, was that a new level? <laughs> was that even another next level of, Oh, I'm not sure I'm ready. <laughs> so we were still in law school when, when you received your call to ministry. Yeah, yeah. That, that really was a, year. it was, uh, I believe a God moment when you mm-hmm. saw that you were being called to ministry. Well, and you helped help discern that. But I would say one of the things, if I got the question right, Todd, and if not, just just correct me. But like, as Tony indicated at the beginning, it was a whirlwind. Like, you go to law school, you don't know anybody because from undergrad, most of people, most of the people are just done. And then, like, I didn't know a soul. You didn't know a soul. We didn't have any friends. And if we had friends that went to law school, they went to another law school or whatever. So we're at the school, nine hundred students. You don't know anybody, and so you're looking to make a friend. We become fast friends. Then we start dating a couple months later. The following summer, we're engaged. The following summer, we're married. And the winter after that, we're you know 
18 months after that were parents. It was literally 18 months from what's your name to walking down the aisle and 18 months later where parents and law school is finished. But then I went to that year of articling in downtown Toronto, uh, wrote my bar admission course, went into seminary, halfway through seminary, took a job. So like, you know, up at these churches where we still are. And we didn't, we didn't breathe, really. And I think I had this assumption that it was all just going to work out, like we would work out. And I, di- I didn't have any conflict as a single person because I didn't have anyone to fight with. Right. So I got my way all the time. It was super easy when I was, when I was uh, single. And then I married this beautiful, sweet, strong willed woman who has, we were joking last night, like a titanium spine. And, uh, and I couldn't have married you if you weren't strong. Like I wouldn't have respected you. But it led to this, like, oh, what do you mean you have an opinion? What do you mean I don't get my way? What do you mean? And you felt the same way. Right. Yeah. And I, I think the problems didn't show up in the same way when we were living in our small apartment in Toronto, in Toronto. and you yeah. were going yeah. you were going to seminary. So during seminary, you you had almost a halftime schedule and I had quite a contained schedule when I, I was working at a hospital. Right. Then. We had some and more margin. Yeah. So it was a it, there was definitely a lower level of pressure in our first few years. But then once we made the transition north of Toronto and we we had a home and you were traveling back and forth to the city to finish seminary and mm. you had three charges that you were taking. Yeah, um, three churches. Three churches taking charge of. That's when we really started to experience that tension and conflict and we just couldn't make our way through it. Yeah, it was like full-time job, full-time seminary and full-time church. And those those just don't add up. And I had no margin. We started to grow almost overnight. And, and growth is a friend, but it was hard. I didn't, I didn't have the tools. Like I didn't know, like once we got past 200 people, it kind of blew all my circuits. And, um, and it was just, it was, you know, hard at the church. It was hard at home. And I, I didn't do well under pressure in those days. Carrie, can I ask a question? Um, yeah. I, I saw this quote the other day. I just want to read it. One of the best wedding gifts God gave you is a full-length mirror called your spouse. Mm-hmm. Had there been a card attached, it would have said, here's to helping you discover what you're really like. <laughs> <laughs> what have you That's found awesome. <laughs> uh, of all the church leaders who are listening in? Because our, our audience is so heavily church leaders. They're thinking, okay, I have all these people in my church who tell me how great I am. They, they love my sermons or they, they're constantly complimenting things I'm creating or doing in the life of the church. And then I go home and I have this person who just regularly wants to tell me like where I need to grow. And I mean, can we talk about that for a minute? That dichotomy Mm. that, that, that feeds pride and I think eats away at a lot of ministry marriages. Did you guys experience that? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Ben, you're going into really interesting places. You're helping me remember what I had for so conveniently forgotten. So thank you. Um, No, you know what? I believe you, you correct me if I'm wrong. But I think I used that as an argument against you at one point where I said, look, the church is growing like crazy. They think I'm great. Why do you think I'm not? And I think, do you remember that? Oh, yes. Okay. I have used that that one at least five times. What is your perspective? How did did that make you feel when your husband told you those awesome things about how great he was and what an awesome leader he is and what's wrong with you and why can't you get with the program? Exactly. (laughs) I have to stop laughing first. (laughs) 
We can laugh about it now. It wasn't very funny then. No. Hey, I would even go, I would go a little further. Paul Tripp in one of his books talks about when he, he told his wife one time, you, you ought to be, you ought to feel so lucky to be married to someone like me. <laughs> Women at the church think I'm really something. I do a lot of great things. You know, that kind of line of thinking. That's so righteous. Did I go that far, hon? Probably I did, didn't I? Well, you hinted at this before. You um, tended to be very um, focused on the environment. Mm. And I have a natural wiring where I was no doubt focused on the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, What they needed came first and I would do everything I needed to do to take care of the kids. And then, you know, I, I could clean up the kitchen afterward or I would get it done before bed. No problem. Um, but that was a real source of, of tension. So uh, I, I would say that even in those days um, that even some clutter around the place would sort of trigger you. Oh, yeah. That's and a trigger then for when me. after is. some experience with this, you're being triggered would trigger me. And I couldn't understand how how you couldn't step up and be a co-parent, like be the parent I needed you to be and not be triggered about the environment. And, and then when you would talk about, you know, how wonderfully things were going at the church and, and there was so much success there. Uh, it, it was a, a real bone of contention between the two of us that, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, there was so much success outside of our home, but so much tension between us. I remember we did some joint counseling. We also did some independent counseling. And I remember there was a counseling session I went to. And, you know, on that, well, look at how successful I am and we're growing and we're, you know, the fastest growing or one of the fastest growing in the country and that kind of thing. And, you know, I think I might have been actually pitching my counselor in the line that, why can't Tony see how awesome I am? And I think he just said to me, just deadpan, he's like, Jesus is not impressed with your success. And at that point, I wanted to fire both my wife and my counselor. (laughs) You're both done and I'm actually paying you money. So you're like, especially done. Uh, But it was, it was a, it was a pivotal moment in my life. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's some things I say all the time as a leader and it was born out of, out of that season. Like if you're winning at work, but you're losing at home, you're losing. And I believe that now and I see it in a very different way. And um, I'm getting choked up. But if you're winning it at work and you're losing at home, you're losing. And that I want the people closest to me to be the people most grateful for me. And that just wasn't true. I mean, that just wasn't true in my 30s. It wasn't, wasn't true. And, you know, I hope it's true now or mostly true. On good days, it's true. <laughs> and we have a lot of good days these days. But, um, you know, like that, that, that was born out of that pain and out of that season where, um, yeah, I'm just, you know, you wish you could get those days back. You really do. And I've told my kids that who are in their twenties, like, I wish, wish I could get some of that back and they don't remember it the way we do, but I remember and, you know, God redeems all things. And I believe that, but, um, yeah, that was, that was a really painful time. And I, I couldn't see it. I don't think either of us could really see it mm. at that point. I mean, the, one of the problems that I've seen, not only in our conflict, but in the many, many conflicts I've, I've seen as a divorce attorney, is the tendency, that natural human tendency, 
to be blinded by a victim narrative. So mm. we, we definitely had that going on as well, that, that you sincerely believe that it was mostly my fault. Oh yeah. And I sincerely well, believed no, it that it was, yeah. it was your doing that mm. all of this struggle was your fault. And, uh, and in a sense we were, we were both blinded. Mm-hmm. Well, we, I did want to give you a, a, a chance, Tony, because there's so many of these, the, the people that are listening here are pastors and church leaders. Can you give that victim narrative um, on the other side? Because we heard what the pastor thinks, you know, he, he's got everybody telling him he's awesome. And that's part of his narrative. What was, what was your, um, what was your viewpoint like as, as Carrie's spouse? There are a few things I could talk about, but I'll, I'll share this one that, uh, while Carrie was leading the church, obviously that requires time a lot of time, a lot of effort. The churches were growing. And so Carrie was out of the house probably more hours than you wanted to be, Carrie. I think oh, that's yeah. fair. I didn't, I didn't know uh, how to say no. And so I had this victim narrative going on in my mind that we were having so much conflict over uh, getting the domestic chores done, you know, just running our household. Uh, we had so much conflict because of Carrie's workaholism. And I I had this uh, continuing complaint that I was so exhausted and worn out and I just couldn't do what I needed to do at home because Carrie w- wasn't there and I, I didn't have the help I needed. But I'm, I'm calling it a victim narrative because it's there's a kernel of truth to it, but it's not the whole truth. And the problem with the victim narrative is that it, it allows us to um, to take ourselves off the hook. Uh, it's sort of the path of least resistance. So while I'm believing that Carrie is the one who's causing all this tension at home and that because he's a workaholic, I'm completely exhausted. Uh, the problem is I've boiled it down to a problem that's unidimensional. And often mm-hmm. when we have a, a history of conflict. It's It has more complexity than that. And uh, so what I wasn't seeing at the time and could only see after we spent some time with our marriage counselor was that there were other causes for my exhaustion that had nothing to do with Carrie. And and one of the problems with that dynamic at home was that because there was this chaos, I was actually creating a disincentive for Carrie to be home. Mm -hmm. He, he, He was really triggered by what he perceived as chaos And, um, you know, one of the causes for my exhaustion was just that I was socially isolated at the time. Uh, It had been a challenge to develop uh, close friendships when we moved north of Toronto. And and I was living, I was working, I was looking after the kids, I was volunteering at church, but I was going superficial on my relationships. And so that was only one of the various causes for me feeling so exhausted. So we've, we, we did learn uh, over time how much our victim stories were um, clouding our vision and getting in the way. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because you said you were probably out more often than you wanted. And I initially went, yeah, 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 that's true. And then I thought as you started to talk, I'm like, actually, that's not entirely true because there were times where I was really glad to be working 
because it avoided the chaos at home. It avoided the conflict in our relationship. And, you know, I would say too, you talk about the environment a lot. And I'm so I'm probably undiagnosed OCD and like I need a clean and tidy environment. But, you know, my amateur psychology would say leadership is so hard. Uh, our marriage was hard. And what I would do is look for the one thing I could control because I couldn't control you, shouldn't control you. Can't really control a lot in leadership, but like I can control the grass and I can control the garage and tidy that and I can control, you know, the environment. And so I think I was like subconsciously latching onto that stuff. And now I still like, you know, those of you who follow on Instagram and love the hashtag lawn lines, that's fine. But that didn't like that before. But like that was that was a, a it's it's a somewhat redeemed thing. That is now really cheap therapy for me. That isn't a relational impediment anymore. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it doesn't drive me the way it used to drive me because it was it was my escape. It was my like, oh, I'm frustrated over here. I'm frustrated over there. I'm going to go mow the lawn even though it doesn't need mowing. Now I'm like, no, I actually really like like a crazy nice lawn and I'll just go do that. Um, but it doesn't come from a place of escaping or running away. It's like, I think we face the demons. We've looked at what's going on in our marriage and, and God's written like a pretty powerful story of redemption. Guys, let's get practical for a minute. If we could, I can only imagine there's, there's some folks listening in, maybe a pastor or a pastor's wife. And, and this is so resonating with them. Their marriage is struggling. They don't know who to talk to. They feel like it's getting increasingly dark at home. What have you guys found in terms of tips of where do you start? Where do you begin to attack this problem rather than watching your your marriage wither? For pastors who are in that position who have kids, I would say a great place to start is to just look at what your kids are experiencing in the moment. Like, if I was a fly on the wall in your home, what would I see? Mm. And uh, whatever mm. you can do to bring down the conflict level and 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 try to um, take some of the intensity out of what's going on between you relationally uh, is a, a great first focus. Um, but that's that's something that depending on where you're at, you may actually need a counselor's help with that first step. Uh, I know that it helped it helped Carrie and I a lot uh, when we went to a marriage counselor and we were concerned about how our conflict was impacting our kids. Um, our counselor gave us some really practical suggestions, like. For example, just, you know, put up the white flag, develop a signal mm. between the two of you so that, that when you yeah. start to head into that heated territory, one of you throws up the flag and you both respect it. And um, that's all right. We did that for a while. We did. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really yeah, good. So notice, just notice when it's escalating and be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like you can tell when your body starts to show signs of being triggered. You know, the uh the flushing, the pulse rate increases, uh um you know, feeling that anger rising up. And uh I know I have a friend who talks about it as a as three zones. You know, you're in the green zone, the yellow zone or the red zone, where red is triggered and green is calm and and yellow is somewhere in between. Once you're in the yellow zone and heading toward red, that's the time to throw up the flag. Mm. 
I would say, you know, one thing I had to do, and it was more a paradigm shift than a practical tip, is uh, stop the pity party, like the, the victim narrative. And I think part of that is, in my mind, I don't know whether you had this or not, but, you know, I would think about, well, there's some woman somewhere who would appreciate me for who I am and who would value me and who would keep the house the way I want the house done and, you know, do things like bedtime on time and that kind of thing. And so I had this like whole, like Tony is the problem thing worked out in my head. And then I realized, no, um, because I escaped with all of my unresolved baggage into the end of a marriage or a different relationship. So that's no good. And, and that all the things that I was really frustrated with Tony about were actually things that I was mostly frustrated with myself about. And that it was a journey we went through. We probably had over 15 years, four different counselors we sought for different things at different times. I'm not saying you need four. I'm just saying, you know, we invested hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars. And that's not an expense. It's an investment. Um, divorce is way more expensive than your counseling. So you need to know that. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, we worked through it. And when I got to the bottom of the stuff that God wanted to do in my life, somehow our marriage got better. And when you got to the bottom, I don't want to speak for you, but when you got to the bottom of your personal issues, you know, our marriage really improved. And, um, you know, it's, it's very possible the thing that, that made you fall in love is the thing that will keep you in love or it'll at least be redeemed. And, um, you know, if you'd shown me 15 years ago or 20 years ago, whenever we were in the pit like that, oh no, this is what it's going to feel like and look like, like I never would have believed you. You know, Carrie, you bring up a really important point, which is, um, you know, kind of the way Tony began to put her foot down and challenge you, you know, Pete Scazzaro talks about the day his wife said that she was quitting the church. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think sometimes it takes a boundary line being drawn before, before something will change. And it's really hard to have the courage to do that. But when your marriage is heading in such a direction as it is, somebody has to speak up. So it's encouraging to hear how you guys learn through that. Well, and that's, what I said, one of the things I really respected about Tony and always have and still do is she's got a really strong spine. And as an Enneagram eight, I kind of respect that. You know, I really do. Like, I need that. If you just do whatever I say, I'm not, I'm, that's going to be fun for eight minutes. And then, and then it's not fun anymore. And yet the very thing I admire is the thing that I resent. And even now, like we've gotten to a much better place. We use a lot of third parties. That's another practical tip. So, you know, we're doing a little design project on one of the rooms in the house. And we learned a long time ago because we both have opinions that uh, to get someone from the outside to say, well, I would suggest this or I would suggest this. So we hire designers and, you know, stuff like that. And it's not expensive. It's hundreds, not thousands. But, you know, just gets that out. We also uh, have turned to an independent financial planner. Um, and once we got, man, I wish we had discovered that a long time ago because we've had different financial consultants, but they were all trying to sell you something. And an independent financial planner, you know, you're more the saver, I'm more the spender, I'm more the entrepreneur, you're more the, no, I just, just want some safety here. And once we agreed on our giving goals and our saving goals and our retirement goals, it's been just not frictionless, but like a fraction of what it used to be. And I'm happy and you're happy. So sometimes getting that outside help because I couldn't, I couldn't see past my own perspective. And I think you had a hard time seeing past your own perspective and we were both right in our own minds. 
But getting that wise third party uh, can really be helpful. And it really helped me see the strength that you bring to our marriage and our, our friendship and relationship in, in a fresh way. Yeah, it, it definitely helped us to have um, third party help, to have marriage counseling. I think the other thing that struggling couples need in in the short term is someone other than your spouse to lean on emotionally. Like you don't need to share with very many people that you're going through a deep struggle, but you do need to share it with someone there. You need to have one or two close friends who really know what's going on. And uh, hopefully people who will pray with you, mm. uh, will give you wise advice. Uh, I do want to raise the caution that uh, you need to be careful about who you get advice from. <laughs> so you may have close yeah. friends who yeah. don't necessarily have the best interests of you as a couple in mind. Uh, at the time when we were deeply struggling, I did have a close friend who was counseling me to, to go for a divorce. And I'm so grateful now that I didn't listen to her advice. Uh, so I would say you do need to not be isolated. Um, your spouse cannot bear the weight of being your only friend. You, you have to reach out and have other close friendships. Um, but pay attention to who you're actually taking advice from. I also found that, that our small group in our church helped us so much mm -hmm. when we were struggling. They encouraged us. Uh, they helped to open our eyes to each other's good, positive qualities. You know, they had faith in us when we didn't have faith in ourselves. Uh, so that I would was say, vital. and that, that is something that's really important because I think our small group was great and we're still in group with some of those people. Like these are long-term relationships, but I also know just from my experience with other leaders that sometimes they open up to a board or they open up to a small group. And next thing you know, they're fired because the group can't handle it. Like we're, we're mm. pretty fortunate to be part of this community and people are really gracious and kind and they hang with each other. But I know that's not every context, but I think your overall principle that, yeah, you need to have someone you can trust uh, and someone else in on it. Because I think left to their own devices, couples tend to implode. Okay, so I think this is a really important uh, topic for pastors because I know plenty of pastors who would never get into a small group for that very reason there, you know, there, there's a fear factor there, or maybe it's uh, a vulnerability issue or I, I, no, I and sometimes sure. Todd, I mean, you, you guys, you guys, uh, Todd and Ben, you know, this as well as anybody, but I think sometimes like it is a well-founded fear. It's like, no, that group expects you to be exactly who you are on stage or whatever. And they don't want to see the cracks. And I think if you're in that context, you may have to look outside the congregation for help. And even that, like there were probably a handful of people that we could truly be ourselves with in a, even a large church. Would you say that's true? Yeah, that was yeah, true. That you, and, and you don't want to share it with everybody. You don't want to get up and start throwing up in the middle of a message about, oh, no, really not going well at home, you know? So you, you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> just cause, just cause, uh, you know, everyone shouldn't know. doesn't mean nobody should know. But yeah, I think that is a very sensitive issue. And uh, we've been blessed to have a great board and just some really, really great people. But that took us years to forge as well. 
That's so, funny. so where I was going with that though, is did you, <clears throat> did you form that group intentionally? Did it happen organically? And you were just somehow blessed by God to, to have this, uh, this type of group. Um, and, and then for those listening, how do they find some of those? Like what, what are some good examples, safe relationships that you, you might find that in if you can't find it in a group? Yeah, it's a great question. We have kind of handpicked our group life over the years because it's so tricky and we probably made some mistakes over time. There have been some inner circles where uh, it didn't go well. And that, that's been really, really painful personally for us as, you know, the friendships don't work out or somebody violated trust in a group. But we've been at this for 25 years in this community. And so we found that handful of clusters. There's sort of only one couple that's been our group leader for the last 15 years. It's like, well, if anyone's going to lead us, it's going to be this couple. And then sometimes I try to lead a group. I'm a disastrous small group leader. <laughs> it never works. Um, but it's been this one couple. And then we always try to find one or two new couples in our group. And we're not in a season of super high need in our relationship right now. I don't know. What, what, what is your thought on that, Tony? Well, at the time when we really needed help, we were already in a small group. So we hadn't intentionally formed it for the purpose of helping us with our marriage. We, yeah, were, we were in a group and they rallied around us in very loving ways. Uh, since people are not always in that context and pastors may not have a safe place within their church, it's probably valuable to look out at colleagues. Um, you know, is there a group that you can form with some of your um, pastor friends who live in different places where there isn't any overlap with your particular church community? Yeah. And I would say even another couple, like another couple that could journey with you, maybe a clergy couple or something like that, like another pastor and, and their spouse could be really good. And, and if you don't have that, because some people are isolated, I, I think you can tell me if this is true. Didn't Fertick say years ago, look, I pay a counselor to be my friend. Like that's, a, I've never forgotten that line. It may not be Fertick, but that whole idea that, no, I just go to a counselor and you're going to help me process this right now or us. I wonder whether most pastors who look around though could find a couple, like yeah, one yeah. couple who have made it through a really tough time in their marriage and lean into that relationship. And Zoom opens up possibilities too. That's another thing as well, right? Like maybe it's somebody who doesn't live in your town, but they'd be, I know we're sometimes involved relationally with people that way that we're just close to. And they're like, well, let's just do Zoom once a month or something. And so you can walk. I'm sure there is somebody. Yeah. I think one of the things that's important for our listeners today, especially those in ministry, is just to recognize just how scary it is to be vulnerable on the subject. I don't know anybody else who their job profile says at the bottom. And in order for you to keep your job, you should manage your household well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a text that just haunts us as ministry leaders that heaven forbid the church find out that the household is not going well. And if you're listening in, I think what Carrie and Tony are teaching us today is just how important it is to just realize that if you put this on the shelf and you think we'll figure the marriage thing out someday, there oh. are huge consequences for that that are so much bigger than your church. 
Well, and and let me just speak to that, Ben. Man, you're so right. And <laughs> you know, get to the empty nester stage. So we've been empty nesters. I'm 55. We're around the same age, and like you know, our kids have been at university now. Uh, Jordan went 11 years ago, and Sam about five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago. You have a lot of life left, and if you don't like each other, it is miserable. And you're either going to become roommates, right? Or you'll get divorced. The divorce rate spikes when the youngest goes to college or leaves the home. Or, you know, you'll have an authentic friendship. And so we started years ago now, over a decade ago, just saying our kids aren't going to be here forever. And we forged common activities we love to do together, rekindled that romance, the friendship, you know, all that stuff. And now it's like, you know, we've been in lockdown like everybody else for the better part of 2020. I haven't been on an airplane in eight months. And I'm like, wow, I love traveling around the country and world and speaking to people everywhere, but this is better. Like, I love waking up with you every day. And, you know, we're kind of, we're now reaping some of the benefits of that really tough investment. Right. The other thing I would say is if you're trying to make your marriage better, you're actually managing your household well. We can set an impossible standard for ourselves that is, in, you know, like, do we manage every day perfectly now? No, we don't manage every day perfectly well. Do we sometimes disagree? Yeah, we, we disagree. But it's a long obedience in the same direction. I was listening to a Keller message uh, about a year ago. And, you know, it's like, when will I be spiritually mature or whatever? And he's like, listen, if you're asking the question, if you're trying, that is a sign of maturity, right? The fact that you realize, wow, I really screwed up there. That is a sign of spiritual growth. And so if you're like, no, I want to make this marriage better. We got to figure it out. I'm not there yet. And I'm, I'm still not the person God fully wants me to be. Um, and I'm probably not the husband that God fully wants me to be, but I'm committed to it and I'll get there. And I think if you're doing that, you're probably managing your household fine. Just keep going. Yeah, that's really good. And I think the other thing I would add to that is just recognizing that your church is going to move on from you one day. And no matter how great you think you are and what framed photo they're going to have of you in the lobby, they're not going to think a lot about you once you're gone, but your marriage is still going to be there. And we, we tend to forget that, that we think that, man, I've got to keep this church happy. I've got to keep these elders and deacons happy. And uh, the, the last thing on our minds is I really need to meet the needs of my wife and make her happy. Uh, so mm. I just think we need to recognize that temptation. It's always there just built into the job description for us who serve as pastors and church leaders. Totally agree. Yeah. And, you know, you will eventually. I'm at year five of a five-year succession, and I've had a few mentors speak into my life about, you know, what should I expect? And one of the top pieces of advice is, oh, don't worry, they'll forget you pretty fast. And, uh, mm. you know, your kids won't, your wife won't. And we hope to, you know, as long as God gives us life and breath, we want to pursue this friendship relationship years into the, you know, decades ahead. Like there's decades ahead for us still, uh, God willing. And, you know, these are good years right now. I just want to thank you guys uh, so much once again for just being so, um, so open and vulnerable and sharing your story. I know, uh, a lot of our listeners, of course, uh, already know you, Carrie, but um, I, it was my pleasure to introduce them to Tony today. And I would definitely encourage them to 
uh, pick up the book, hand out the book. Uh, but also, um, if you're already a podcast person, she does have Smart Family Podcast as well. Uh, and, you know, just like uh, just like Carrie, she's also available for speaking and things like that. Yeah, I'm well, sure. More available than her husband. So there you go. In, in, in a different way. Uh, but guys, just thank you so much for sharing once again. And, and I will tell you this, um, I can't remember if I mentioned it on air or off. I was meeting with my, um, my team, uh, earlier today and told them I was going to be, uh, hanging out with you guys. And, um, Andy said that was one that being with you guys is one of his top five, uh, best work experiences, uh, in all the travel we do and all the places we get to go. Um, because being in your home was just special and unique and, um, how authentic you guys were and the type of relationship you all had and the way that you hosted them. Uh, it just, it's a blessing to me, um, because it backs up, uh, all the years I've known you, it, it just, it just backs up everything I've seen, uh, on stage and backstage. Um, but to hear that about your home is, is really special. We're working on it, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. And that, that, was that a special fills day. my heart. I've uh, even just remembering that that day is wonderful. We loved mm-hmm. having Andy and the team here. That was a lot of fun. Big green egg. Generally, we split the kitchen just because we love being married. So I work outside, you work inside, and I clean. <laughs> that works out pretty well, doesn't it? Does that work out okay? It works out really well. Okay, good, good, good. We're making progress. At some point in time, uh, I know that your obsession um, – has gradually shifted over time that, you know, lawn lines may be a hashtag. Uh, but I know, so I, I know also that you have an obsession with the green egg. So we may, we may have to dedicate an entire podcast at some point to, to meet, uh, because there are several of you in the leadership space, um, that are also, uh, obsessed with that particular topic. So it's good, you know, Hey, that's the last lesson is when I was in my thirties and we were going through all that funk, I didn't have a hobby. Would have been helpful for me to have a hobby, would it not? (laughs) (laughs) So I have a few of them now. Sure. Sure. Yeah, you go do something else, okay? You'll be a nice person when you say So for leaders listening, if you have any bandwidth uh, left, and even if you don't have bandwidth left, kick something to the curb uh, and go ahead and get counseling and then uh, get a green egg. Thanks for listening. That is it. That is it right there. (laughs) 